You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives, and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education. Today I'll be in conversation with Eric Gibbs. Eric is president for our original. It's safeguarding. Is it safeguarding, Eric? It is safeguarding. Or is it plagiarism? Safeguarding or plagiarism, which one do we call? You'll let me know today. Now, Eric is an accomplished business executive with over 20 years experience in the education technology industry. He's helped provide tech's originality assessment services to over 6,000 organisations. That's quite a feat in 80 countries. So I assume we're going to talk about translations today too, Eric. Today, we're chatting to Eric about our original technology trends and what's happening in education around the world. Welcome, Eric. It's wonderful you could join us today. Thank you, Heather, for having me and the opportunity to speak with your listeners. Fantastic. Can you introduce your passion for education and technology to our listeners today? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first and foremost, I'm a first generation college student um, and really spent kind of the last 20 years in the education technology market. Um, My first true exposure to the ed tech industry was uh, with a startup based in the Bay Area called Applia that at the time was led by Stanford University economist and now uh, Nobel laureate Paul Romer. Heather, this kind of allowed me to the opportunity to meet and what became my mentor, Sally Elliott, and provided a successful 14-year journey working at startups as well as kind of high growth companies, Thompson Learning, which became Cengage Learning, Turnitin, and really kind of is, is, has allowed me the experience and with her guidance enabled me to assist in launching Original into the North American market and Latin region today. Eric, you've had an amazing start with an amazing mentor, I must say, but can you explain to our listeners more about our original and, you know, how it all began? Absolutely. So original was founded out of Uppsala University in Stockholm, Sweden. So it morphed from two plagiarism prevention companies. And you notice that I did not say plagiarism detection. Um, <laughs> there is no such thing as plagiarism detection. So you, you hear this in, in ed tech, you hear it in the market that you're going to detect plagiarism. So I kind of like to throw that out as kind of the first misnomer. It's a plagiarism prevention or a tech similarity detection tool. But Original was founded out of Uppsala University, as I mentioned, but it was from two companies merging together in September of last year, Erkund, Mm -hmm. which was the Swedish anti-plagiarism company, and Plagscan, a German anti-plagiarism company that came together to form Original. So it's a fairly new startup. Is that correct? It, it is. It's, it's, relati- it's relatively new, but with a rich lineage of over 20 years of, of experience in assisting institutions, K through 12 corporations in their academic integrity of initiatives. So our original, so did the two companies have complementary software that that's better off to come together to come to market rather than doing it separately? Is that how it worked or...? 
That is correct. So Erkin was very good at the text similarity detection. We had the ability to kind of do the cross language detection. So you mentioned talking about translations, a little bit of the technology. If you think about characters becoming words and words becoming languages, that's at the kind of the fundamental area of, of how text similarity detection is done, as well as PlagScan had a very good uh, analysis tool to be able to, to not only detect text similarity, but also the ability to do stylometry or writing analysis. And this is kind of the, the fusion of the two companies coming together now allow not just text similarity detection, but now have the ability to do authorship recognition and being able to identify writing patterns of specific students, learners, submitters of specific artifacts to be able to really submit, to really protect that academic integrity of the school, college, or corporation. This is amazing because even as a company, we write educational resources all the time. We change them into Arabic, to Chinese, we change them into German, to French, to English. And we do have, you know, I suppose what I want to know is how do you do this? Because the English doesn't go directly into Chinese. It doesn't go directly into Arabic. You have to completely change the way that it's worded to a degree because we've found some words in English don't make sense in Arabic or they don't make sense. And if they are directly translated, like you do if you have a played with Google Translate, it doesn't always work, it doesn't always make a full sentence, is how does that happen? How do you actually, how does original language detection work for plagiarism? Yeah, you touched on the, the, uh, the, the main point here. Most translations, when you think about how, how to actually translate something, the fundamental root goes back to Google Translate and everything goes back to English. We actually have a proprietary tool that we developed that does the direct correlation and the translation from German to French or French to Dutch, Dutch to Japanese. So there's seven specific languages that we currently support in doing that specifically, uh, that, that direct translation from those seven languages. So that heavy lift is done amongst all the content that we're aggregating and indexing to truly be able to see if a, if a learner or a submitter submitted a document that was in Swedish or in Japanese and then claimed it as their own in English or in Dutch, the system is going to be able to provide to the evaluator that cross-language detection and provide that original source as well as the matched text side-by-side -side for the evaluator to have that analysis for the evaluator. That's really interesting. I mean, as a brand, I, here's a question for you. Would we be able to use it? We get a lot of counterfeit products and they copy everything. Would, was it just for education? Would we be able to use it, say, as a company, as a brand to see where our work is being plagiarized? Absolutely. So not only, you know, I mentioned secondary, post-secondary colleges, universities, but also corporations. So the, this idea of academic integrity, it, it, the idea of integrity is at the center <laughs> of yeah. the conversation. Um, so for a corporation, think about a publishing house or a newspaper. What we want to do is for a newspaper, let's say, we want to be able to see where there could be potential non-attributing uh, the, the source for a specific article. Likewise, let's say a specific publishing company might want to pre-certify or run through the artifact or the writing um, manuscript to be able to actually 
ensure that it does have originality. So what we would do is not only do the text similarity detection, but it also then has that cross language detection to ensure that there's not additional sources out there, not just in the native, in, in the native source or the native written language to be able to have that safeguard. Going back to that word that we, we spoke about at the beginning, safeguard the actual potential for originality. So actually, many companies should be using this in the next few years as well, even smaller companies. I imagine there are smaller universities that use it, so there are different ways that it can be implemented in the systems. Am I correct? Absolutely. And we do have several corporations that we actually work with in in doing their pre-publication work to again, just for, it, it comes back to risk assessment, right? It's, it's utilizing the technology, not for academic integrity, but actually for potential non, uh, non mis, misconduct of potentially plagiarizing um, another individual source. So publications. The other thing that I would mention, Heather, a good example would be uh, law firms. So utilizing the actual tools or the technology to actually turn the model upside down. So this is where we would want to be able to to actually see where there's actual precedence. So we would want to see, quote, potential plagiarism in in the sense that we're talking about, because that would actually be a case for a case, an actual precedence that the law firm or the actual lawyer would actually be able to utilize for future cases. Oh, that, that would be very helpful indeed, <laughs> I can imagine. But, you know, in the past 12 months, I suppose, you know, you're in the US, I'm in the UK, but it's been a very unconventional year, for, particularly our two countries, actually. It has been quite an unconventional year. Has there been a surge in plagiarism, I suppose, is a question to you? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look in the media, media it seems like daily there's always, always reports of new academic integrity cases you know, I've been talking about over the last few years, this digital sharing economy and what the the digital sharing economy, I think for your listeners, I'll I'll kind of think about this as academic, academic file sharing sites. And these academic file sharing sites pose a real risk to the academic integrity of the institution. And that institution could be higher ed, or it could be specifically a school. So, you know, we have started to see that the high incidence of academic integrity cases have increased during the global pandemic. And it's not a US or a UK issue, it's a global issue. And I think we would all agree that student collaboration is often encouraged within an educational setting, but where it crosses the line is when those artifacts or those assignments are shared by students when in fact the files or artifacts, as I like to call them, are owned by the instructor or potentially that university. And that's where they get shared with the, that, this digital sharing, sharing economy or these academic file share, sharing companies. And this is where there, it becomes an issue. So it's basically infringing upon that instructor or the teacher's rights in actually building out that high quality assessment or that high quality assignment that you know, we, we don't feel that that's actually, that, that, that's, that, that's a right for, for a student or a learner to be able to submit that and then actually use that, ha- have the company use that for, for potential cheating or plagiarism. That's really interesting. I suppose, how is it, our original different from other academic integrity tools that's out there on the market now? Yeah, Heather, that's a great question. You know, I think for us, core to our mission, you know, we, we really have three pillars 
fairness, innovation, and trust. You know, we tried, we, we strive to provide an environment which kind of fairness sparks personal development, enables people to strengthen their original voice. The innovation, you know, plagiarism prevention tools have been around for nearly two decades, but we're constantly evolving and pushing the boundaries when it comes to meet the needs of our customers. And those customers, as we talked about, schools, colleges, university. The trust part is, you know, we have decades of proven experience in the field of text matching and plagiarism prevention. So this is really our commitment to our customer first mentality that allows us that assurance of results. Uh, So, you know, I want to first start by saying tech similarity detection tools always have to be learning and optimizing through their machine learning algorithms, um, incorporating some of the AI tools and functionalities that I mentioned with the authorship recognition. So the way that Original actually thinks about this, we want to stay in our kind of lane of being able to support only academic integrity initiatives. So having this proprietary cross-language text matching, that is something, while it might sound trivial, and you might think that it, you know, there's always Google Translate, it's very different. So I think for originals different and being able to provide that optimized and award-winning text similarity detection, this authorship authenticity component and the cross-language text matching. And I think the, the, biggest, the biggest fundamental difference from other tools is we're providing this award-winning solution at, at an economical cost. So we know budgets don't go up for school districts or for colleges or universities. So we're really trying to be able to work with those individ- our individual stakeholders to have a long-term partnership. So over the past six, I suppose, six months, have you found that there's been a huge increase? Because we are learning much more online. Everyone's, you know, in some countries, we're still at home. We're not even at the office yet. And I know that there's been a lot of online learning courses. And so this would actually be quite a hot topic among, you know, every institute, educational institution. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I think the one thing that I would say, Heather, is during the pandemic or prior to the pandemic, individual students chose whether they wanted to take an online or a traditional face-to-face class. Fast forward to the pandemic, everybody was remote and online. So, you know, welcome to the online learning. You really didn't have a choice. Today, you know, I think in, in doing that, in kind of looking back and, and reflecting upon that, we did see a huge increase, um, not only in load and, and, and specifically increase in volume of, of our clients, but we saw as we're kind of exiting, especially here in the U.S., exiting out of the pandemic, um, we're seeing a tremendous amount of, of demand for tools like academic integrity. And it goes back to that conversation. If there are needs for a tool to combat this digital sharing economy, if you need to actually bolster your academic integrity initiatives and really have that quality control, a tool like Original is really, it really adds value to the institution. And so we feel that, you know, certainly the the business and, and growth is there, but also the, the core utility of, of the product is, is what we're seeing institutions tell us is, is the value for them. I just think one of the most amazing things is it cross-translates. For me, that's, you know, I think that's an amazing, I'm not sure whether any other, there is any other software that can do that. You know, as I said, you know, we do it ourselves. We translate things all the time and it just doesn't go directly but we know when we can see when we've had plagiarism or counterfeit products 
and they've taken our, say, for example, where you worked with a lot of professors to develop products, and we can see when they've taken the product. So that's, I suppose, really interesting for us. I wonder if there's a way that we could use this as an organisation and see if we could get a lot. Could we find plagiarism or its own? Is that from our products? Could you do that? Absolutely. And it goes back to, to where the content is actually uh, resides. And so our content repository, going back to what makes original unique, when we match our content, we constantly have spiders and crawlers that are, you know, crawling the web. And we, we primarily are, are targeting academic websites, but 20 years of archived uh, in, yeah. in internet websites, scholarly journals and academic publications, and then 20 years of student materials that we've archived. And again, from a data privacy perspective, those schools and colleges have the ability to choose whether they, they submit to our, our global repository or they keep it in themselves and only check against for collusion within their their, their database or their school account. So it's just these massive amount, this massive amount of, of content that we're constantly updating as well as then archiving uh, for our individual clients. But you're exactly right. The, the utility of a tool like this could show value in, in the UK use case that you suggested. That's what's interesting is, do you find now that it's not just used for universities and maybe um, high, do you call it high school, secondary college? What do you call it? Sort of the last few years of children's school in the USA? It, it is high school, so secondary. But we also see, are seeing, Heather, we're writing, you know, if, if we're trying to move into eliciting more critical thinking, designing courses and assessments that are going to elicit deeper thought, you're going to have to have more writing. And so we're starting to see in grades seven and eight, even more, more use and more need for a tool like original. But typically our grades nine through 12 is, is our core, our core fo focus here in the US and Canada. I was going to ask, does it even go down to primary schools, elementary schools? Not as of yet. You know, I think for us, it really is just focused around kind of that text. And once, once students are starting to write, we want to be optimized. So there are, uh, there are constraints in how many, how many words we would actually need to be able to have an optimized response. Because you can imagine if, if you, wrote, you wrote a sentence indicating that I am a proficient writer, if, if we tried to match that in a scholarly journal, or if we tried to match that uh, verse in, on an internet website, you're going to have a tremendous amount of false positives <laughs> <laughs> versus a, uh, you know, a, a two page or three page document. Um, we can start to remove those false positives. And that again is where the optimization that, that of, of our algorithm, that's where the optimization of original comes in. So this is probably quite a techie question, but does it take around about 10% of 10% of an article to be plagiarized? Or how much does it actually have to have taken from that article in order to classify it as sort of plagiarized? Yeah. So again, it, it, it there it's not going to detect the plagiarism. So what we're providing is where there are matches. And so it's going to go back to the individual instructor, teacher to evaluate the actual article. What we do in our analysis report is we would actually provide to the individual teacher the ability to see of their 30 students in their class, 
what was the average similarity score? We call it a similarity score, which is essentially uh, the aggregate number of, of matches within that paper that the student has actually matched for against our internet scholarly journals and academic publications and that, that global student material. What we do is we match that student score against the average number of those 30 students, as an example. Um, so if my paper is highly... <laughs> highly uh, potentially plagiarized. And I copied it from Wikipedia directly in three pages and it's 90%. And the average similarity score of the, oh, the other 30 students in the class is 54. That and teacher is going to see that my 90, 98% versus the average score is much higher or above the average. So it would actually kind of throw a red flag or caution the individual teacher to potentially take a look at my paper versus, you know, the average of the other uh, 30 students. And it's interesting, I suppose it's kind of like how SEO works for Google. <laughs> if you keep using someone else's content, it, um, how can I say, it, it puts you down the much lower on the list <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it, it is those insights that we're trying to expose. It, it's, it is also about time savings, right? Because it, uh, t- without a tool like Original, it would be up to the instructor or, or professor to go out and potentially take the passage where they think it's potentially plagiarized, go to Google, and you then would be constrained by only the sources on Google. Maybe they don't have that scholarly journal, or maybe they don't have the other student's paper that they're able to match against within the class for collusion. So it, you know, the tools that we're able to provide and services, it truly is an efficiency component in the workflow of the overall instructor or professor. Well, it's quite, I mean, it's quite an amazing for a university professor to be able to put that in when they're doing a PhD or anything like that and to actually see, even I suppose they can just check if it's referenced correctly next to it as well. So if they have taken a certain amount, they could then see has it been referenced? If it's been referenced, okay, fine. But if it's just been taken out as their own, their own framework, that might be another issue <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Absolutely, Heather. It's not just the plagiarism police, right? It, it is a teaching and learning <laughs> tool because we are providing that, that report to the student as well. So they are able to see if it's properly cited. So, you know, this, this does, there is a formative use case for the individual learner to be able to have this and it does act as a deterrent. So if a, if a school or a college has not used a tool, a plagiarism prevention tool, and they start implementing one and you do see a spike um, at, at the beginning of the term, but it does start to deter plagiarized works. And you start to see those individuals learners using their own voice and originality start to persist over the class. I love that. That's why it's our original, our original. Can I ask if I'm a student, could I put my paperwork in this software before I handed it in, and then it can tell me where, and then I can go back and um, reference it properly if I haven't referenced it properly? Or is it only for the end result, the teacher? It is based upon the individual individual instructor or how the assignment was configured. But yeah. if the instructor has configured it for that formative use case or said, yes, you know, we would we would allow the student to make multiple submissions, and Heather, this would be our, our best practice. We always want to encourage this, not as a punitive tool, but to promote kind of 
uh, that teaching and learning, as well as full disclosure and engagement from the, in, the instructor or teacher to student, but they could actually submit the paper within five, 10 minutes, receive a, sim, uh, a similarity report back, and then see the actual similarity uh, or matched content within the report, see if it was properly cited, go back in and change it, and then resubmit. So it is, it is almost a draft the ability to utilize this in drafting as they are writing out their paper. But that, that capability is, is within original. So for academic integrity policies and best practices for schools and colleges, that would be the best way to do it. So as, as you're saying, it's a teaching and learning tool rather than just the end result and finding out and going, oh, but actually it's more telling them and showing them, actually showing them like a hands-on learning, they're actually showing them the way forward rather than, getting it back and realising that they, they probably didn't realise. Some people might have done it on purpose. Some people might have actually just not been, ever been taught. If you've gone to university, you might not have been taught how to cite, how to reference properly. Absolutely. And this comes from, you know, not only instructors, teachers, professors, it comes from, you know, organizations that deal with academic integrity research. So, you know, I would, I would encourage your listeners to visit the International Center for Academic Integrity or the European Network for Academic Integrity. They all have fundamental fundamental principles on what are best practices. So for example, International Center for Academic Integrities references the, uh, the commitment really to six fundamental values surrounding academic integrity. And those would be honesty, trust, fairness, respect, responsibility. And the last one they just added this year, which was courage. So these are kind of those core principles that I would encourage school districts, colleges, universities really build out their academic integrity framework in those those six fundamental values. Eric, I have to ask you, you've been in technology for 20 years. I mean, that's, a, you know, it, it whole, the whole world has changed so much in there, especially in the technology world. What's the biggest change that you've found in the last 20 years? You know, I th- that is a that is a great question, Heather. <laughs> I, I think for you know for me, there, there's two things that stand out off the top of my head here. One of the biggest frustrations I think was uh, during my time with Carnegie Mellon and, and Acrobatic. It was a, a, an adaptive learning tool. We could show that that there were significant learning gains utilizing technology and utilizing a tool called Acrobatic, but the learning curve for instructors and professors to utilize this was very different than what was traditionally utilized. And this was, you know, literally five six years ago. We couldn't actually kind of cross the chasm from traditional traditional technology, which was more static, more skill and drill, what individuals are used to today to this adaptive learning environment where maybe you have 900 students in a lecture hall, but they are at different levels or different stages of the learning. And, and it, it, it was a very big, big gap, learning gap to, to, to try to cross. But we could also though show that the learning gains were so much more substantial. So that was the biggest frustration. I think for me, looking back, what is the biggest gain? 
you know, going back to elementary school and middle school, coming out of the pandemic, if we could have only had gamification and, and have more ways to actually engage learners to make learning fun and get more process for elementary, you know, middle school students, I think if we can get students hooked in the learning process, and if we can make it fun with gamification, I think we have a winning combination there. So, you know, I, I would love to challenge future ed tech companies to, to really start thinking about, you know, incorporating game theory to, to engage students, especially given the, the fact that, you know, motivation and incentives do drive, do work. So I'd love to be able to see more gamification in, in the primary, primary education. It sounds like there's another another area for ed tech for our original, maybe a little bit different, but gamification could always be a great way to move forward as well. Now, I'm very conscious of time today, Eric, and I just wanted to know if our listeners want to even know more about our original or even get in touch with yourself or one of your teams, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Absolutely, Heather. They can visit original at, our, at original.com. That's O U R. I-G-I-N-A-L.com or at original underscore O uh, on Twitter, any of our social. I'm also on LinkedIn. Love to hear feedback. It's it, the, the, the best thing that we can do is to listen to individuals on feedback. So as individuals would love to share comments, feedback, academic integrity. One thing that I like to say, Heather, is a wrap up. Academic integrity and plagiarism prevention, typically 50% of the individuals are not a big fan of, of plagiarism prevention tools, and the other 50% typically tolerate them. So it, it trying to de- demystify kind of the, the, the tool itself is, is half the battle. So good course design, being able to actually have great, great engagement and disclosure with students, and then that optimized technology like an original really is kind of the, the, the triple prong that actually will make an academic integrity uh, initiative be fulfilled. So I, I really appreciate uh, having me. And, and more importantly, I'd like to thank your listeners at EDX Education for spending time with us. If anyone wants to get in touch with Eric, by all means do. Uh, Original is my understanding was one of the 10 best ed tech companies across the globe in 2020. It's two very much older companies that have come together and formed a much stronger uh, bond. They've got 7,000, 6,000, sorry, plus organisations in 80 countries. They cross-translate. It sounds like an absolute amazing way if you've got, if you're a time saver and teacher learning tool for all colleges and academics, even academics to use. So thank you, Eric. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Heather. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education. As she'd like to say, Let's create lifelong learners.